good morning. Uh, this morning's reading is taken from the third book of John. The Elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may walk together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends by their name. This is the word of the Lord. As we stand, so we pray. Lord Jesus, you spoke of your disciples as your friends, and you made your Father's will known to them as they obeyed you. Please, would you show us what it means to be your friends today, to know and to do your will, and please help us to be faithful friends to our brothers and sisters amongst whom you have placed us here. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I do please be seated. One of the things that struck me when I moved from Australia uh, halfway through high school was that the English don't have any mates. Uh, I don't mean I hope that I was just a particularly awkward loner, although most of you know me well enough to know that that's at least halfway uh, towards the truth. Uh, What I meant was, you English have friends, whereas we Australians have mates. And mateship is a cherished part of the Australian character. A former Australian Prime Minister described it like this, it is particularly an Australian virtue, a concept that encompasses unconditional acceptance Mutual and self-respect, sharing whatever is available, no matter how meagre, a concept based on trust and selflessness and absolute interdependence. In Australian history, mateship was one of the defining characteristics of the diggers, the Anzac soldiers of the Great War. In the country town of Shepparton, where my cousin John lives with his family in the state of Victoria, they erected this war memorial only about 20 years ago, and it is entitled simply Mateship. It's hard to imagine an English war memorial with the same sort of dedication as that. 
Or just as cultures differ in what they understand by and aspire to in terms of friendship or mateship, so Christians also have a unique aspiration and understanding in terms of Christian friendship. And as we shall see, 3 John, uh, this little letter, the shortest letter, the shortest book in the Bible, uh, we shall be looking at it in three sections, uh, reveals to us uh, that Christian friendship is even better than Australian mateship. Do you know how hard that is for me to say? Well, it's true, and we know it here at St. John's, those of us who've been following Christ in this family uh, for a long time. And we can grow in it, and we can model it. And we can embrace those in our lonely and fractured society to come here and to know the friendship of Jesus Christ as we model that and extend it to others in our community. So this letter, it's the only one that John wrote uh, to an individual, to his friend, Gaius. Uh, His gospel is written as an evangelistic book. Uh, His first two letters and revelation are written to churches. But this is John's only writing to an individual. And he describes Gaius uh, four times in this uh, short letter. Uh, I would encourage you to have it open uh, near the back of the Bible. Uh, There's no page number on it. uh, And it's next to another book of the Bible with no page number on it either. Uh, So you'll have to use the index or start at the back and work forwards. Uh, It's uh, the third last book of the Bible. Uh, So John describes Gaius uh, in this letter as his dear friend, his dear friend Gaius. Uh, The authorised version has uh, a more accurate and certainly a more charming translation uh, when it renders this one Greek word, the well-beloved Gaius. The dear friend, the well-beloved Gaius. It's a letter written uh, from one close Christian friend to another. And these two men are not ashamed to say that they love each other as friends in Christ. As such, it holds out to us a model for distinctively Christian friendship, a friendship that is founded upon Christ, a friendship that is centered upon Christ, and a friendship that grows by serving Christ together. Those are the three particular characteristics we see unfolding in the first eight verses of the letter, which is as far as we shall get with the Lord's help today. And these verses hold up for us a mirror into which which we can look as we assess our own friendships, as well as a model for how we can aspire to live with more Christ-like and Christ-dependent and Christ-glorifying friendships in our own lives. Uh, In some ways, this short letter uh, continues the theme of recent weeks as we've been uh, considering our call to serve the Lord here at St. John's. Uh, And to do so, not only as brothers and sisters uh, born into the same spiritual family or currently in this church family, but to choose to do so as friends, as well-beloved friends who want to do so joyfully as we engage in the task of serving Christ in this place and of seeing his kingdom come and grow. So let's get our heads down and consider what friendship is modelled for us here and how we may learn and be encouraged by it. First, uh, Christian friendship, uh, the one between John and Gaius, is Christ-founded. Verse 1, the elder, uh, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now, although he's not named in the body of the letter itself, uh, the elder... Uh, is almost certainly a reference to the aged Apostle John, 
uh, who's exercising a bishop-like oversight of a group of churches uh, in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And Gaius is almost certainly a member of the congregation in one of those churches. He's not the vicar of the church, if we can use that anachronistic language. Uh, The vicar was a man called Diotrephes, and he's a nasty piece of work. And unfortunately, we're going to have to think about him in two weeks' time when we come back for our second look at this letter. Uh, That won't be an enjoyable sermon for me to preach, but we'll come to uh, Diotrephes next time. Uh, But Gaius, as far as we can tell, uh, and all we know about him is here in this letter, uh, as far as we can tell, he's not a preacher or a leader or a missionary. Uh, He is, we might say, just an ordinary church member who happens to be a dear friend of the Apostle John. But what I want you to notice here, just in this opening verse, is the foundation of their friendship. John writes to Gaius as one whom I love in the truth. And that's what makes his friendship distinctively Christian. The source of John's deep love for his friend is what he calls the truth. He speaks of the truth six times in this shortest book of the Bible. It's an important theme for John, as elsewhere in his writings. Five of those six are in these first eight verses of the letter. The truth is absolutely central for John and his friendship with Gaius. Indeed, it's what makes it a Christian friendship. So what or who uh, does John mean by the truth? And here we need to uh, rely a little bit on the way he uses that language in his other writings. Uh, John means God's truth as it has now been fully and finally revealed in Jesus. The truth about him written in the scriptures, the truth about him poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, When we respond to the gospel and come and put our trust in Jesus as our saviour and begin to follow him as our Lord. Remember remember that Jesus speaks of himself as the truth. That decisive verse uh, was the one that led me to put my trust in him many years ago. Jesus promises to send the spirit of truth as the one who will take his words and make them alive for us as we believe them and live. And he prays to his own father, your word is truth. So for Jesus, the word is the scripture. It is himself. It is the spirit. There is just truth, God's truth, gospel truth, as we now know it in Jesus Christ. And so we have here, as so often in John, and you will have spotted, I hope, uh, just in a couple of verses later, walking in truth. Uh, You'll know if you're a member of our church that walking in truth, living in love, uh, holding together these uh, twin poles uh, of the character of God as we work it out in the reality uh, of living together as his people and bearing witness to him in this world. So those two are absolutely fundamental in Christian friendship as they are in the Christian congregation as they are in Christ himself remember Jesus comes full of grace and truth love and truth from the father as he makes God known to us and so as an aside here before I come back to the main thrust of this letter let me just make the point again and you've heard me make it before that we simply cannot separate Jesus from his words, or Jesus' love from Jesus' truth. 
And so can I ask you, please, to pray for our bishops as they take counsel together uh, over the coming months uh, as to whether or not they will yield to the pressure to move from our Lord's teaching that marriage is in its nature the union of one man and one woman. I haven't brought that up with anybody this week, and yet my inbox has been filled with it, and two of the significant conversations I've had this week have been people bringing the subject up with me. It's just out there at the moment. And what's striking to me as people raise this subject uh, with me uh, is that so often the solution that's being sought is precisely to separate truth and love. And one man I sat down uh, to dinner with far outside this parish, none of you will know him, uh, this week, uh, said to me as he raised the subject with me, he said, I find my head and my heart just go in different directions and I must follow my heart. In other words, I know what the truth is, but we have to be people of love. And when those come in conflict, love must win. Well, if love wins at the expense of truth, it's not Christian love. If truth wins at the expense of love, it's not Christian truth. Jesus comes full of grace and truth. Love and truth are inextricably bound together in him, in his gospel, and we simply must find a way to hold them together in everything. Is that easy? Of course not. And you'll know we've devoted six weeks before the summer to exploring these issues. But again, last Sunday, very publicly in our cathedral, the diversity service that was there, you can find it on YouTube, uh, check if what I'm saying is true. The preacher said, quote unquote, I would rather go against God than follow biblical teaching. I would rather go against God, was said last Sunday in the premier pulpit of our diocese with a bishop present, affirming all that was said. Friends, it cannot be that we find solutions that divorce truth and love. For if we do, they will not be Christian solutions. The head and the heart belong together. God and the scriptures belong together. Jesus and his words cannot be separated. If you are ashamed of me and my words, Jesus said, well then woe to you when the judgment comes. So here, uh, what John and Gaius are modelling, under different pressures, but profound pressures nonetheless, uh, not the least, uh, the clergy in this church in which Gaius is a member that is falling short, uh, different pressures doubtless. But what a relevant description of true Christian friendship. I love you in the truth. Indeed, there is no Christian love apart from Christian truth. We allow, in the end, our head and heart to be separated at devastating cost to authentic Christianity. Well, a side over, but I hope you can see its relevance. More generally, when John writes to Gaius, uh, Gaius says, my dear friend, whom I love in the truth, he's saying this is not just, you're my mate. He's not just saying we've found a common interest or we have a compatible personality. Uh, this is not something where we just find ourselves in the same workplace or find we have an affinity over the things of the world. Uh, we're familiar with friendships like that, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with them. Friendship is a good gift of God in his common grace. But what is here is a distinctively Christian friendship. And that, John says, or by his uh, modeling of it with Gaius, is something that we can aspire to as well. Be blessed by, honor Christ in, uh, and see as part of our Christian service. 
I'd love to reflect longer at this point because uh, the last thing I want to encourage you to do uh, is to stop investing in your friendships with those who are not yet Christians. You know, the statistics tell us that the average time it takes from when an adult becomes a Christian to the time they lose their last non-Christian friend is about 10 years. Most Christians, when they be, most people when they become Christians, develop wonderful relationships with their fellow believers, but they begin to lose the friendships they had with the people of the world. That's not right either. With whom will we share Christ if we do not have friends in the rowing club or the workplace or the school or wherever it may be? How will we let this love and truth of Christ spread from us if we do not have deep and trusting relationships with those who are not yet believers? It's not either or. It must be both and. And here John is modeling something different but vital. A friendship between brothers in Christ that is founded upon a shared faith in Christ. And of course, what John commends between brothers, he would equally commend between sisters. I guess we've all got our own stories if we've been Christians for any length of time. When I look back over the 33 years I've been a Christian, it's striking how often God has used Christian friends as crucial means of grace at moments of great difficulty. I have to say, uh, the last three weeks have been one of those moments. uh, And we have discovered uh, great Christian love and friendship in our congregation and indeed uh, beyond our church family here as well. When I go back to the start of my Christian life, it was my friend Mark who brought me to Christ. Wouldn't let it go uh, until I'd really considered the gospel. Uh, He nurtured my young faith. There was no clergyman or official church uh, activity at that point uh, as I became a Christian. The friends I made at Theological College a few years later are still the enormous encouragers uh, when tough times times come. And of course, friendship is a key element in any healthy marriage. My best friend is my dear wife, Sarah, and our friendship and marriage is founded on Christ. The reality is, in a way that the Lord knows, but most of you never will, that I would have fallen by the wayside many times, years ago, if it were not for the Lord's provision of her, for which I am profoundly and eternally thankful. There is a unique value in Christian friendship. Those friendships that can actually get to the heart of who we now are in Christ, with whom we can share our deepest selves. Now, I know we will all be in very different situations here. Some of you probably feel very alone. And you think, that's, I'd love a Christian friend, but I don't have one. And I don't know where to find one. That's not an easy answer to give uh, from the pulpit. I'd love you to come and talk with me. And perhaps we could pray together and think through how we might encourage you to find that kind uh, of close, supportive friendship in our own congregation here By contrast, some of you, uh, the beautiful people, uh, the popular people, the outgoing people, uh, maybe you have many friendships. I guess my gentle challenge to you would be how many of them are founded on Christ? And in our impossibly busy lives, how many of us, and here the fingers are pointing very much at me, how many of us really invest the time we should in the precious thing that is Christian friendship? Now, there are different ways we need to hear and apply this to ourselves. But please don't hear it as a battering. Hear it as an encouragement to seek the Lord and to come and pray with me, if you will, over this. 
Second, we must move on. Verses 2 to 4. It's a Christ-centered friendship. Uh, This sounds like the same thing, but it's not. Uh, You see, it's entirely possible to have great friends who are Christians, but where the focus of the friendship is not on Christ. The conversation is always about other things. A shared faith may have been the common ground upon which a friendship has begun, but Christ himself is never actually in focus in the friendship. Just think about the conversations you have with your Christian friends. Are they any different to the conversations that you have with your non-Christian friends? If they aren't, then I think there is a question there you might want to reflect upon personally. Of course there'll be overlap. Of course there are all sorts of things in the world that we talk about with our Christian friends as we do with our non-Christian ones. But we're never going to talk to our non-Christian friends about how it's going with our Bible reading or what we made of the house group study last week or that particular thing is that we're really struggling with at the moment. Or that deep issue that is just bringing us such discouragement and when we know that only a word of God can bring us comfort and encouragement again. We know those things can only happen with our Christian friends. So are they? It's a simple question. I'm not talking about a a super spiritual approach where you only talk about those things, but a spiritual reality where what you would say is the most precious thing to you as a believer, that is Christ and your faith in him, actually features in the friendships you have with your fellow believers. Listen again to John speaking to Gaius. Here is the model. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health And that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Again, we hear that emphasis on the truth of Jesus that holds these two brothers together in their precious friendship. The A burden of John's concern and the source of his joy is that Gaius' soul is getting along well. John is overjoyed that he's continuing to believe and that he's still walking daily with Christ. And John rejoices of that. As a hint, perhaps, that the friendship is unequal. Gaius is not only a friend, but a child to John. Perhaps they're different ages. Perhaps uh, Gaius is a convert under John's ministry. Or perhaps it's just an acknowledgement that John is the apostle and senior pastor uh, is uh, the, uh, the senior one in that relationship. But the focus is on Jesus and on living rightly under his lordship. It's unmissable as the sustained center of friendship with Gaius. And again, when I think back through the years... It's not just Christian friends, but those Christian friends who've looked me in the eye and said, come on, Mike, you actually need to believe this promise. You need to take some action on this area of your life. You need to hear what God's word says to you at this point. Not always comfortable conversations, but Christ-centered ones that have done the most good. Wounds from a friend can be trusted But an enemy multiplies kisses, says the proverb. Well, there is that sense in real Christian friendship that where we know we need rebuking and correcting, we can hear that from a friendship that is truly centered upon Christ. But alongside that, again, look at the start of verse 2. Yes, John's central focus is on Gaius' walk with the Lord, but it's not exclusive. 
Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Do you see the balance there? What a wise and godly thing that is. Bodily health is important to me. If you're my friend and you don't care how I'm feeling, well, and you only want to talk to me about my Bible reading or something, you're only being half a friend. But if all you care about is my life in this world, then you're not really being a distinctively Christian friend. It is body and soul that is the concern of John and his friendship with Gaius. So it must be for us and distinctively Christ-centered friendship. It's a question, really, of balance. So again, if someone listened to your conversation with a close Christian friend or your spouse or a child, if someone listened to your prayers for yourself or your nearest and dearest, what would they conclude was your primary concern? I ask that just again to encourage some reflection yourself. I suspect for many of us, worldly happiness and success or good health will always come first. Maybe overshadow, maybe even completely displace a walk with the Lord that is true and real and authentic. Let's make sure we hold those things together. A genuinely Christian friendship is not only grounded in a common faith in Christ, but rather it is centered on Christ as it continues. And that leads on thirdly and finally to a Christ-serving friendship. Uh, Here John moves on from speaking uh, directly of his friendship with Gaius to commending his friend for something he was doing. Aren't those sweet words, words of encouragement and affirmation uh, when you're doing something that is just right before God uh, and particularly, as is the case with Gaius, uh, when other people, people more powerful or influential than you, are doing the opposite and discouraging from that. A word of encouragement to one who is struggling is a powerful thing, and that is what John is doing here uh, for Gaius. That he wants Gaius to know that he was doing the right thing precisely because he was serving and glorifying Jesus. And John wants him to know that this costly godliness is worth it, and Christ sees it, and his friend can bring the Lord's words to him. Our Christian friends are the ones who keep us going and growing in our faith, especially when serving Christ is costly or controversial, as it was for Gaius, as it will often be today. Again, as we'll see next time, uh, when uh, Gaius's actions were condemned and contradicted by his own local minister, Diotrephes, John needs to say, you're doing the right thing, Gaius. On this occasion, you must simply ignore and contradict what the vicar is telling you to do. Please don't quote me out of context or take a free pass on that statement. But sometimes, in an imperfect church, until Christ returns, it is necessary. And so John writes to encourage Gaius that by the standards of Jesus and according to his word, he's doing the right thing. Again, just listen to these words again. Dear friend, you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers, even though they're strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men, so that we may work together for the truth. 
In the early church, of course, there were no recognized or established mission agencies which encouraged and validated missionaries as there are today. There were traveling preachers, the brothers of verse 5, who were not known to Gaius, but who had showed up at his church or his house. It's not clear uh, which it was, or maybe they were even the same place. Uh, and to them, Gaius has shown hospitality, uh, presumably as they based themselves with him uh, for a season of missionary work. And in verse 7, John is clear that these preachers went out uh, for the sake of the name, that is, the name of Jesus. They went purely by faith. They sought no help from unbelievers. And in doing this, they were in stark contrast to the typical first century religious preacher uh, who expected to profit from his preaching. He would sit down to preach. The collection bowl would be there. You listen, you pay. Uh, That was not the way of these authentic Christian missionaries. Indeed, as always, it was a mark uh, of the genuineness of those who proclaim Christ that they seek no profit from the proclamation of the gospel of grace. And Gaius, quite rightly, has recognized them as authentic. Now, there were inauthentic missionaries going around. Now, that's the concern of John's second shortest letter, the previous one, to John, uh, where the church is warned not to welcome false missionaries, false preachers, who are seeking to make a quick buck out of preaching a distorted version of the gospel. But Gaius perceives, rightly, uh, that these are genuine Christians. And notice, as everywhere, that walking in the truth is demonstrated by showing love. How do we know Gaius is walking in the truth, verse 4? Well, because he shows love, real, practical, costly love to his fellow believers when they show up at his doorstep. Again, we see, don't we, woven always together truth and love. And just as Gaius has acted rightly, so John exhorts him to continue to send these missionaries on their way. Isn't that an extraordinary phrase? In a manner worthy of God. On the occasion when God uh, turns up to visit Abraham and uh, Abraham and Sarai uh, welcome them, provide for them. These heavenly visitors uh, whose true identity is only partially revealed. Well, so it is with us, church. How do we treat our missionaries? How do we send them on their way? How do we review our missionary budget? We send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. We joyfully give a significant amount of what is given to our church every year to our missionaries so that they may fulfill their calling to serve the Lord, sometimes in different countries, sometimes in different places, in the whole panoply of what Christian mission looks like today. And we do it joyfully, not with what's left. It comes out first because we are under this Example here that we must treat our missionaries in a manner worthy of God. Jesus said, of course, didn't he? I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. It's a great way to assess how Christ-like a church budget is. Look at the missionary giving first and see what it costs to maintain it. I'll ask for guys, so for most of us. Most of us are not missionaries. Uh, All of us, if we're Christians, uh, have the same privilege and responsibility as he did as part of our membership of this church and our giving to the work of this church to work together for the truth simply by providing practical support thereby for those who have gone for the sake of the name. 
In our context, that will probably have less to do with opening up the spare bedroom to a visiting missionary, more to do with giving generously and widely to Christian mission, uh, again, principally through our giving to church. And it is something that is distinctively Christian, isn't it? The world will be moved to some degree to give to famine relief. And only believers will give to those who seek to relieve a famine of the word of God. In our day, just as in Gaius' day, Christian missionaries receive no help from the pagans. And so when we love them by providing for them and doing that together, we work together for the truth by the practice of our Christian love. But if I may make a slightly more general point and just stand back from this particular example that has prompted John to write his letter to Gaius, John and Gaius' friendship is deepened Because, as this is the example, they are serving Christ together. Uh, And this is perhaps where we make the link with the recent sermons encouraging us to serve the Lord in and through the local church. When we do so, we find an unexpected gift, and that is deepening friendship. As we uh, serve together, so we grow together in friendship and mutual love. The more we commit ourselves to serving Christ in and through his church, the more we will find ourselves inextricably committed to each other in mutually beneficial friendships. And you know what? The more that we do that, the more that the people outside the church will look in and say, see how they love each other as they labor together in the name of Christ and for the extension of of his kingdom. And the more they see that love and labor uh, together, so the more they'll be encouraged and attracted and drawn into our fellowship, this circle of friends and family that Jesus draws to himself in this place. So my prayer is that the Lord would grant us friendships like this one, There might be this level of friendship between every two individuals in every congregation. But this character of Christian friendship among us is authentically Christ-like, Christ-founded, Christ-centered, Christ-serving. Such friendships are a source of deep love and real joy, and like Christ's own friendship with us, not self-serving or excluding, but generous, inclusive, and enabling. Friends, shall we seek the Lord to be better friends with each other? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we remember where we began, that you looked at your disciples and called them friends as you made yourself known to them and gave yourself to them. So we depend on your friendship, your love for us, your self-giving sacrifice that brings us into the Father's house. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would forgive us where our friendships have been worldly or shallow. We pray that you would make this church a place where we see your friendship lived out amongst us in ways that grow your kingdom, in ways that welcome in the stranger, in ways that serve the spreading of the gospel, in ways that bring glory to you, the friend of sinners. We ask it to your Father's glory. Amen.